from the University of Texas at Austin, KUT Radio, this is In Black America. It was amazing because on one hand it was a very troubled time in my life and on the other hand the feeling of being in the air for the first time and being trusted to be in the air was exhilarating uh, to leave the ground and to go down the runway and to become airborne when you're a very small child is almost magical. And I think that's why I chose uh, that context to talk about entrepreneurship and the Wright brothers and and what they left us through their entrepreneurship and their creativity uh, was the catalyst of my first inspiration as a kid. Bishop T.D. Jakes, senior pastor at the Potter's House, located in Dallas, Texas, and author of Soar, Build Your Vision from the Ground Up, published by Faith Words. When Bishop Jake was growing up in South Charleston, West Virginia, Little did he know he was being indoctrinated with the entrepreneurial spirit. In 1955, he started TDJ Enterprises, LLP. He has written more than 40 books, many of them New York Times bestsellers. He has produced movies and has written and produced musicals. And oh, by the way, he owned his own record label, Dexterity Sounds. In his latest book, Soar, Bishop Jake wants readers to reevaluate their life purpose. According to Jake, and we quote, too often we remain in jobs that stifle our souls and leave us on the runway of opportunities with the engine of our deepest passion stalled, watching others make their personal vision a reality and build a legacy for their children, the opposite of what God intends for us. But it's never too late to get our dreams off the ground, end of quote. I'm Johnny O'Hanson Jr. and welcome to another edition of In Black America. On this week's program, Soar. Build your vision from the ground up with Bishop T.D. Jakes in Black America. It's absolutely true. I mean, uh, sometimes we do the right thing, but we do it in the wrong place. Or we do it around people who can't appreciate it and don't have a mentality to support the vision that we have. And many people have given up on their dream and thought it wouldn't happen when, like the Wright brothers, they just need to do the right thing in the the right place. And I, I wrote that so people would consider when they plan to do a business, where you're doing the business at, and is that place conducive for what you're trying to do. You might have a Silicon Valley vision, but you might be in a South Dallas situation, and you have to consider where you are, and uh, and sometimes it might be necessary to relocate before you launch the business. I'm really trying to get people to just research and think about things that I see a lot of us don't think about until we're in the business, and then it's kind of late to be making choices that we should have made before we started. Bishop T.D. Jakes is the senior pastor of the Potter's House located in Dallas, Texas, with more than 30,000 members. Some have compared him to Billy Graham, and he has been described as the most powerful African-American man in America. Born Thomas Dexter Jake on June 9, 1957 in South Charleston, West Virginia, as the youngest son of the family, he developed a strong work ethic at a young age, reflective of his parents' entrepreneurial spirit. As the CEO of TDJ Enterprises LLP, he has built an impressive empire. His television ministry, The Potter's Touch, is watched by 3.3 million viewers every week. Also, he is the producer of movies and musicals, and is the author of more than 40 books. In his latest book entitled Soar, Build Your Vision from the Ground Up, Bishop Abai readers with strategies that would help them rejuvenate their life and turn their busyness into business. 
SOAR is a practical and easy-to-follow flight plan for launching the entrepreneurial drive inside each of us. Recently, In Black America spoke with Bishop T.D. Jakes. It was wonderful, actually. It's a small town and laid-back people with uh, basic values and character that helped to shape my life and define my understanding of community and of myself. It, it, was, it was quite nice. And it, when I read the book, it seems like it was an autobiography because you went back and uh, you went over a lot of ground. How was that uh, process of, of putting this sword together? Uh, it was kind of therapeutic in a way because I'm now at a stage in my life that I can really appreciate um, my parents and their mm-hmm. input in my life and, um, and and the values that they taught me, the work ethic that they left me. Uh, my parents were very, very hardworking, relentless people, um, very entrepreneurial at their core. And uh, though my mother was a school teacher, she also dabbled in real estate, and I talk right. about that in the book. And uh, my father started a business with a mop of the bucket and ended up with 52 employees. And uh, I never knew that being raised in their house would impact the way I see life and the way I see opportunities and our ability to create opportunities rather than to wait on them. And uh, that's really the substratum of the book, dealing with the opportunities that exist when you have talents and uh, techniques and you just need an opportunity to share those talents with the broader audience. Tell us about that first time you actually took a plane ride and you were going to see your father. He was He was ill. Uh, it was amazing because on one hand it was a very troubled time in my life and on the other hand the feeling of being in the air for the first time and being trusted to be in the air was exhilarating uh, to leave the ground and to go down the runway and to become airborne when you're a very small child is almost magical and I think that's why I chose uh, that context to talk about entrepreneurship and the Wright brothers and and what they left us through their entrepreneurship and their creativity uh, was the catalyst of my first inspiration as a kid. What brought you to this particular moment to write this book and entitle it Soar? Well, when you look at the state of our country right now and you, you listen at some of the struggles that exist in the inner city, uh, in underserved communities, and you listen at what the complaints are coming from the Rust Belt states, we're almost saying the same things. The lack of jobs, the lack of opportunities, the lack of advancement, the feeling of hopelessness. Now the opioid epidemic and some of the things that are existing in communities where there is where they are stifled. Um, I thought that entrepreneurship could be a catalyst to create new job opportunities. And when I looked at the stats about African-American women uh, moving into entrepreneurship more readily than just about any other people group and how they go into business, but they struggle to stay in, I thought that I might be able to leave some things on the record that would help uh, entrepreneurs to become more successful. When you talk about your father, he started a business with a mop in a bucket and he ended up having 42 employees, but in the book you write, he was too busy doing the business to have a vision that would take it beyond him just working every day. Well, the reason I talk about it is because I see so many people today who mistake busyness for business. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're hustling real hard to make ends meet. 
they don't really understand that if you go away from doing the business to thinking the business, marketing the business, managing the business, you could be more productive. But we have a tendency to have a hands-on approach to entrepreneurship. Most of us start out that way, but some of us stay in that role too long. And we never really get to market or manage the business because we're so busy uh, doing the work of the business. And um, at what point do you hire somebody and, and, and who? what type of person do you need to hire? Those sorts of things are things that we don't really think about and my father didn't think about. And he literally worked himself to death mm-hmm. down at 48 years old. And he might still be here right now had he... Uh, extended his business and allowed other people to do the work and backed up from it and took on the role of leadership that really makes entrepreneurship soar. Did you ever get a chance to talk to your mom regarding why she uh, started renting houses? I watched the whole process from being a little boy when she was buying the land Mm -hmm. to being a grown man when she was an old woman and watching her still getting rent off of that property when she was old. And I watched her in contrast to my mother-in-law, who was at the mercy of her retirement and her Social Security, uh, my mother had extra streams of income coming in, even when she no longer remembered that she had them. And I just saw firsthand and up close the benefits of being proactive and thinking ahead uh, for a day when you are not productive and you're not able to get out and work, that you're not totally at the mercy of your children. And it just taught me a very valuable lesson about life. Knowing what you know now, do you appreciate what your mom was doing? Oh, as far as setting you on a path for entrepreneurship, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I appreciate what she did and what she showed me. I appreciate being in the room when she was negotiating for property (laughs) and uh, and hearing the conversations and then riding home with her and listening at her talk about why she did what she did. You know, mentoring comes in many forms, and none of us really learn until somebody lowers their wings and allows us to kind of climb on and soar through their uh, wisdom and their experiences. And that's what my mom and my dad really did for me in different ways. And uh, and I just began to share that. And I thought it would also help other people who were raising children to to bring your kids in the room. <laughs> Uh, and and expose them to what you're trying to do because sometimes we keep them in the room with the kids and we put them somewhere else, but you have to expose children if you want to empower them. In the book, you talk about starting Women Down Are Loose. I guess that was being in the right place at the right time and the right people were there to see what you were up to? Yeah, you know, uh, everything is not skill or talent. Some of it is fate and grace. Mm-hmm. That's on our lives that allows us to kind of tap into a, a need. Because what I'm really saying, not only about women that are loose, but about uh, business or ministry, it's not really built around what you need. It's built around what the people need. And if you provide something that people need, you don't have to work as hard to promote it because it will take on a life of its own. And that's certainly what women that are loose did. It was a Sunday school class and ended up in the Georgia Dome with overflow into the Phillips Arena and the World Congress Center. So that that's a long ways from Sunday school. I understand. I found it interesting when you were talking about the Wright brothers, they had an idea, but they knew where they were in Dayton, Ohio. The weather wasn't conducive for them to actually ha- have that first flight. So sometimes you have to move to where the conditions are better for you to do what you're thinking about doing. 
It's absolutely true. I mean, uh, sometimes we do the right thing, but we do it in the wrong place. Right. <clears throat> or we do it around people who can't appreciate it and don't have a mentality to support the vision that we have. And many people have given up on their dream and thought it wouldn't happen when, like the Wright brothers, they just need to do the right thing in the, in the right place. And I, I wrote that so people would consider when they plan to do a business where you're doing the business at and is that place conducive for what you're trying to do. <clears throat> you might have a Silicon Valley vision, but you might be in a South Dallas situation, <clears throat> and then you have to consider where you are. And uh, and sometimes it might be necessary to relocate before you launch the business. I'm really trying to get people to just research and think about things that I see a lot of us don't think about until we're in the business, and then it's kind of late to be making choices that we should have made before we started. Was it difficult in coming up with scripture for these particular chapters, or they just fell into place? I, I didn't use a lot of scripture. <clears throat> I've done a lot of things like that, mm -hmm. and, I, and I do a lot of that on Sunday morning. But I found that inspiration on Sunday, if it doesn't translate to information on Monday, okay. leads to frustration by Wednesday. And if you keep inspiring people that everything's going to be all right, but you don't give them the tools and the technique to change the circumstance, after a while that inspiration turns into frustration. Being such involved on a day-to-day -day basis in many different endeavors, how do you keep track of what you need to do each day? Uh, I have a great staff. I require a lot of reports and data through which I make uh, decisions, and it's a team effort, too, because I also surround myself with the kind of people that we can sit around the table and 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 better decide what are the next steps and what are the issues that we need to contemplate. I'm, I'm really big on team building. I really do believe it takes a team to build the dream, and I talk quite a bit in the book about who you need on your team because a lot of us have a team, whether we know it or not, but the team is full of people who do what we do as opposed to complement what we do. And people who do what you do will always end up competing with you. People who complement what you do will always end up completing you. If you're just joining us, I'm Johnny O'Henson, Jr., and you're listening to In Black America from KUT Radio, and we're speaking with Bishop T.D. Jakes, author of his 40th book, Soar, Build Your Vision from the Ground Up. Bishop Jake, who do you go to 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 express some of the concerns that you have to, to alleviate some of that stress and pressure? Well, you know, when it comes to mentorship, it depends on what I need mentoring about what I'm going to, who I go to. I tell people it's okay to have more than one mentor. The person who might be, uh, for instance, a weight trainer might not be the best person to advise you about investments. So to have a family of people that mentor you on various subjects has always been my best approach. And then I have some peripheral relationships beginning first and foremost with my family, my wife, my kids. My siblings are still living in entrusted people with whom you can open up and share your moments of frustration and aggravation. I've got a spiritual mentor in my life who's continued to pour into my life, and I'm grateful to have this consortium of people to which I'm held accountable and also am able to grow as an individual. Bishop, when you moved from West Virginia and you moved to, to, to South Dallas off Keach, did you ever envision the ministry that you, you currently have? Absolutely not. I had no idea it was going to turn out like that. You know, I came to Dallas expecting to have to 
really fight through the same kind of obstacles that I had in West Virginia. And and that wasn't the case. Now, I did have a lot to fight through, but it was totally different. I had 1,500 people to join the first Sunday. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I was bombarded with problems that I wasn't used to having. Success does create problems, and a lot of people don't think that it does. But the more successful you are, uh, the more problems you have to manage. To him, how much is given, much is required. And I had to recalibrate my life. And I think the hardest part about doing something that you didn't anticipate is that you you don't know what normal is, and you don't know whether the problems are normal or whether you're just not doing it right. And that vulnerability uh, is the catalyst for prayer, and it should be the runway through which you begin to reach out to other people. Some people are not wise enough to ask for help, but I'm grateful that there were people who stood around me and helped me to make that transition. Bishop, how do you keep everything in, in perspective? People are calling you. You know, I'm, I'm quite sure they're pulling at you, uh, hither and, and yon. The hardest thing for me was to realize that I couldn't be everything to everybody, though I wanted to be, mm-hmm. and and to recognize that I was a limited resource and that I couldn't give them me because there's not enough for me to go around, but through the programs, the 50 programs or more that we offer at the church and all of the people who work with us to help that vision be realized that I can't give them me, but I can give them the kinds of programs that are near to my heart and and love them through those programs that we've instituted. Our Texas Offenders Reentry Initiative and the 10,000 inmates that have gone through that program a year-long program, sometimes two years to get through that program, has reduced the rate of recidivism drastically. And uh, though I don't teach every class, uh, I give the wherewithal and the infrastructure to provide the program. And I had to learn how to give myself through the program rather than to give my physical self, which would be disappointing because I am limited. Do you ever miss that one-on-one interaction that you used to have in West Virginia? With your church members? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I I still have one-on-one with members to a degree, Mm -hmm. but I do miss the simplicity of of being in West Virginia. One of the things I've enjoyed about this book tour is that I get to meet the people who are watching on TV, and they get to talk to me, and and they don't really realize that they're coming to get the book. It gives, gives me a gift so much larger than the book itself. I get a chance to get fresh inspiration and a sense of connectivity that's very important for what I do. Uh, I still preach some funerals at home. I still do some visitations uh, in critical moments at home, but I don't do all of them, but I still do some of them because it's important to me not to lose the pulse beat of my congregation. Bishop, how do you go about the process of developing your sermons on Sunday? Oh, man, (laughs) we don't have enough time. (laughs) We don't have enough time. I can say this that might be helpful. When, When I sit down to read Scripture, I generally don't sit down to read Scripture just to get a sermon. I really sit down to read Scripture to feed myself. Mm-hmm. And and out of the abundance of what I'm feeding on myself, I share with the congregation. I think it's dangerous when you just open the Bible to get a word to give to somebody else because it, got, it bypasses you without touching you. And I like to be the first recipient of the word before I share it with other people. God is about to do something awesome in our life. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up! Somebody shout, rise up! Oh, rise.
rise up, rise up, oh rise up, it's resurrection time, you've already been through the death time and you've been through the burial time, baby it's resurrection time, I can feel the breaking of day, I can feel the resurrection, who am I preaching to in here today, it's time to rise up, somebody shout rise up! Rise up, rise up. That's what this ministry is all about, rising up, rising up. This is not a ministry that presses down. People don't come to church now to have you beat on them, fuss at them, yell at them, tell them what they're not and what they'll never be and you shouldn't do this and you're not, people not coming to that. I don't need you to put me down. I need somebody to help me rise up. I'm trying to get up. I've been down. That's why I came here because I was down. I want somebody to help me get up. One, one of the beauties of the potter when he works with the clay, is that no matter how fast the clay is spinning, when the potter gets ready to shape a vessel, he continues to raise it up. He never presses down on something he's trying to raise up. And I'm so glad that even though my life has been spinning and spinning and spinning, I'm so glad that God keeps raising me up higher and higher. Is there anybody in here that feels the lifting of the Lord, lifting you where you've never been before? taking you into a brand new dimension. I feel him saying, rise up! In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he said, rise up and walk. They use the name. Touch somebody and say, there's something about the name of Jesus. Well, it seems as though when, when you do have the sermons on Sunday, it really makes you think because I think you're trying to you tie in what's happening today and you give it a biblical uh, perspective. I try to. Uh, I try to because at the end of the day, uh, people are coming to church to get a word that will help them with the challenges that they're facing right now. They're not coming just to hear a history class or uh, a sermon on eschatology or some other biblical principle that may be totally out of touch with what they're going through, but they're trying to get food for the week and to deal with the challenges. And lately we've had so many of them with hurricanes mm -hmm. and, and shootings and crisis of all types and descriptions uh, that have, have left people feeling a bit... Uh, uneasy and I think it takes all of us doing everything we can to subsidize their uncertainties with with comfort and grace and, and the strength of God's word. A couple more questions, Bishop. I'm glad you brought that up. Do you think God is trying to tell us something with so much weather related tragedies happening? Uh, you, you you're opening up a can of worms there because I really do think as much as I, I know and realize that God is sovereign and in control, I really personally think that some of the storms and adversities that we're having right now are a result of how we have not been good stewards of the planet. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that we don't really take care of the planet in terms of clean air and clean water, and, and we create some of the tumult, tumult that we see today. It's certainly biblical that in the last days there will be earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars, and so we're not surprised that we find ourselves in this situation. But I don't think that all of this is coming from God. I think some of it is coming from the abuse that we do uh, to the planet itself. And then 
when you couple that with the atrocities of what's going on with gun violence in this country and drive-by shootings, uh, God doesn't make guns, and he doesn't, he doesn't shoot pistols or rifles. Uh, this really comes back to the old scripture, uh, am I my brother's keeper? And I don't think we've done a good job of keeping our brothers, and we need to do better about keeping our planet. Two more questions, Bishop. You write in the book about people going to jobs that they really don't like, but they're going to them to make ends meet. Everyone had a particular talent, but one does not have the faith to step out and turn that talent into an entrepreneurship. I don't think that people are are wired to think that way. I think that because we were raised by our previous generation, the goal in life was to get a good job. (laughs) (laughs) And so if we're lucky enough to have a job, we work that job, we try to be diligent to that job, and that's not a bad thing. But if you are really miserable, life is too short to be miserable every day, and every day that you're miserable is a day you'll never see again. And I'm not suggesting that everybody go in tomorrow who's unhappy and quit their job, but I am saying that many of those people who are unhappy on those jobs are unhappy because their dreams are unfulfilled, and gradually they can ease into the process of transitioning from uh, full-time employment to maybe part-time and doing the job part-time or doing the job on the side until you build up enough strength to step out into your vision. But don't sit there and just uh, saturate yourself in frustration as if you don't have choices because every day we make choices and and our life is a result of many of the choices that we make. What was the the highlight for you for this year's Megafest? the presence of God moved at Megafest and the diversity of people who really came to be blessed. It really makes it gratifying to have it. Uh, to be honest with you, it's such a headache that every time we have it, I, I come up to it and say, I will never do, do that again. again. <laughs> yeah, we're just not going to do it again. We're just not going to go through that and put our staff and our church and all of our friends and ministry through that kind of pressure, we're not going to do it again. Then when I see people standing around weeping and crying and saying their lives has changed, I start saying, next time we're going to do so and so and so, uh, because I think it is, it's hard to ignore the, the kind of touching, impactful experiences that happen when people uh, come to an event like that and their lives or their marriages or their ministries or something important to them is changed in a very powerful way. It's hard not to be willing to go back into the flames of of doing that again. What do you want readers to come away with, Bishop? I want them to walk away with a, an introspective look at who they are and what they were created to do and not to stop until they feel like they're doing the thing that they were created to do. This is not a book about how to get rich. This is about how to get centered into your purpose and do the thing that gives you fulfillment, whether it makes more or less money, and, and to evolve into that and, and not to be afraid of your scary place because everything amazing that ever happened to me required that I walk through my scary place to get there. Bishop T.D. Jakes, senior pastor at the Potter's House located in Dallas, Texas, and author of SOAR, Build Your Vision from the Ground Up. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions as your future In Black America programs, email us at inblackamerica at kut.org. Also, let us know what radio station you heard is over. Remember to like us on Facebook and to follow us on Twitter. 
The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station or of the University of Texas at Austin. You can hear previous programs online at KUT.org. Until we have the opportunity again for technical producer David Alvarez, I'm Johnny O'Hanson, Jr. Thank you for joining us today. Please join us again next week. CD copies of this program are available and may be purchased by writing In Black America CDs, KUT Radio, 300 West Dean Keaton Boulevard, Austin, Texas, 78712. That's In Black America CDs, KUT Radio, 300 West Dean Keaton Boulevard, Austin, Texas, 78712. This has been a production of KUT Radio.